Hello and welcome to And The Winner Was. My name is Joel Winstead and this is my journey. I am watching every Best Picture winner in order, starting in 1927 with Wings. With each episode, I'll be covering a different film with a different guest with me today for the sixth time. Dalen Rowell is back again. Yes, uh, I'm here for all your musical goodness. Yeah, all the musical goodness, <laughs> uh, who I really need because uh, these old ones uh, have escaped me for so long. So I really appreciate you coming back. Today we are talking The Sound of Music, 1965 Best Picture winner. Um, nominated for 10 Academy Awards, winner of five. Um, written by a bunch of people. It was a book by Maria Von Trapp. Uh, mm-hmm. Screenplay by Ernest Slayman, who is such a good uh, uh, screenwriter. We'll talk about him. Uh, from the stage musical book by Russell Krauss and Howard Lindsay. Um, directed by Robert Wise. Starring Julie Andrews, Christopher Plummer, uh, Eleanor Parker, and Richard Hayden, among the many Von Trappers. Um, this is a movie that I've seen a bunch. Uh, I saw it a lot when I was a kid. I did not like it. I was like pulling teeth, but I had some family members that liked it. So we had the VHSs. Um, and I remember a lot of the beginning, a little bit of the middle and none of the end. So when I watched this movie again for the first time in two decades, um, it was like watching a whole new movie and I kind of fell in love with it. The last act is batshit crazy, um, which kind of made me like endeared me to it a lot. Uh, Julie <laughs> Andrews has the haircut of Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber and it's baffling. Uh, there's so many, there's so many things about this movie that, that I kind of loved and was so weird and different. And, um, I don't know if it was just because they were isolated in the mountains or if Robert Wise couldn't get his like, you know, gritty, weird director things. And so he just started like making weird decisions. I don't know what it was, but I kind of loved it. Um, (laughs) But this is going to be an interesting episode because, Dalen, I don't think that we're on the same page with this one. We are not on the same page because so... Full disclosure, I'm a huge Rodgers and Hammerstein fan. I've grown up being a huge fan of their musicals. They are the songwriters behind The Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. If you know, For your audience who doesn't know, they are, of course, the men who are c- considered to be responsible for what is the blueprint of the modern-day American musical with Oklahoma. Also created The King and I, South Pacific, Carousel, uh, State Fair... The list goes on and on, but those mm-hmm. are like the iconic ones along mm-hmm. with Sound of Music. And as someone who is a huge fan of their work, it's my least favorite musical of all the things that they have made. And as I was saying to you before we recorded this, the reason why I say that is their musicals to me, for the most part, feel like art at the Louvre. Whereas this musical, for the most part, feels like kids bop (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) and that's not to say that there aren't moments in the show that in the show and also in the movie that are profound and beautiful and intense and mature that i do genuinely appreciate respect particularly the third act of the show slash movie is really Mm. important but the majority of it feels like kids bop to me (laughs) 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 uh just because just because like it just focuses a lot on the children or you think it's just too light and fluffy or well it's mainly because i think that the musical because first of all it's based on obviously real life people that existed which i found out watching this movie and researching it (laughs) because honestly i just thought it was I'm moving, you know, I had no idea. No idea. The yeah, and, and to the majority of the human population, people don't know that these were real people that had mm. to literally endure this like actual experience that happens well, in the show, which is amazing. They did escape, but I read that they kind of just 
left town and took a bus and took the train. Right. Over. They didn't have to like yeah, it's not, the mountains. Right. It was not this epic grand <laughs> Rogers and Hammerstein swelling score kind of yeah. moment that happened in real life. No, but yeah. you, they, you know, taking a story about real people and then making it into a full fledged musical is a very big hurdle to achieve. Right. Mm -hmm. And while I think there are certain elements of it that work, I think a lot of it is stretched out to really focus on the kind of core sweetness of the relationship between Maria and the Von Trapp children in particular. Uh And that is a dynamic that I'm not interested in personally as an audience member, because there is only so much of a two hour plus of little kids doing Mm -hmm. repetitive like motions and Mm -hmm. wearing leader hosen and going up and down like streets in you know they were adorable they are cute but there's only that's maybe i'm a cynical cold-hearted grinch (laughs) on the inside but that's just not what i as entertainment respond to personally so when i so when i was watching it i was really kind of I was really, really liking Julie Andrews. I was liking what she was doing. I liked her kind of um, wanderlust nun, you know, identity. And I kind of viewed it as more of like her, that was her hurdle, you know, like she needed to kind of ingratiate herself into this family and, you know, make these kids, you know, get them out of their routine and, and, you know, it was, you know, this fish out of water story that we've seen a thousand times, but, you know, we're seeing Julie Andrews do it and she's singing and it's great. And, you know, the kids are quirky and, and Christopher Plummer is all like rigid. And I don't know. I, I, I just was, I was really digging it. I was, I was involved. I was invested. Um, I didn't necessarily care about each and every child. I really like the youngest girl. I have a, a small daughter. I thought, so the youngest girl I, w- I thought was really cute and did some really cute things that were probably just the actress being like little, you know, and not necessarily like being directed yeah. to such things, but um, like she fell behind a lot of like the choreography and, and different things like that. It's just really cute. Made me laugh. And um, uh, you know, the oldest daughter falling in love with a Nazi and, yeah, you know, I'm 16 going on 17 is a freaking banger. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> well, but here, here's the thing I want to say that, you know, the sound of music is arguably the most popular thing that Rodgers and Hammerstein ever made. Like, ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is their, their Fantasia. It is their, um, you know, uh, Thriller. <laughs> Right. If you will, for all the right. uh, pop culture references I could make. Sure. But, you know, for someone who grew up with liking their other shows where they're talking about really, really deep topics about racism, you know, in South Pacific with You Got to Be Taught, you know, with The King and I, even though that's kind of a hot mess in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and also a lot of the deep, you know, aspects of abuse in uh, Carousel and in Oklahoma to have the musical that, you know, when you take the Nazi aspects out of it, the musical that's more about, you know, cutesy little kids and a, a, a teacher singing lady, like, you know, going up and down mountains and mm-hmm. wearing outfits and, you know, singing the same four or five lines over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Mm-hmm. That's something that I personally respond to. But I right. understand that despite my grinchy, childless, millennial heart, that uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get why there's such a huge response to this movie and there are things i do like in it i'm not saying that i don't like it but from a musical score perspective this is always going to be my least favorite of rogers yeah. and harry's catalog yeah i mean 
you know, who's going to argue with that? I, I just, you know, I, I think there are redeeming qualities. And and not not the least of which is, you know, Robert Wise, who we've seen, you know, we talked about him before with, with West Side Story, directed that. Um, but he, you know, he was, he did, he was the gritty guy. He was the, the guy that, you know, did like the cop stuff and, and to have him come, I mean, obviously this is on his menu or on his, um, his radar because mm-hmm. of West Side Story and things like that. And, and, and playing in that, in that wheelhouse, but, you know, it starts off with this great helicopter shot and, you know, which is amazing by the way, Julie Andrews <laughs> up there and she's twirling around and, um, and they see the you know the camera swoops down and they kept, actually the helicopter was getting so close to her that it kept knocking her over the wind of the gust. Yeah, the, I heard that story too. <laughs> which is great, which makes you laugh. But the, but she was so game and she would get up and she was you know like back to one and they would start over and you know I just you know it was infectious and Julie Andrews Christopher Plummer um, called her Miss Miss Disney and and he he hated working on the movie. He referred to it as the sound of mucus or S and M. Uh, and he said that working that's with why da- he's my boy <laughs> Dame Julie Andrews uh, working with her was like being hit over the head with a big Valentine's Day card every day <laughs> but uh, it's so funny because you know in hindsight I don't know if I'm sorry to interrupt you might no, have been fine. able to say this no. they uh, very obviously over time ended up actually having like a huge attraction to each other. And it's mm-hmm. been very speculated actually that they may have had a thing, even though she might've been involved with someone else and he might've been involved with someone else. Like that's kind of always been an underpinning. And he's right. even said in interviews that he yep. actually like fell in love with her, you know, and not gonna lie. Like I know, I know we were talking before in our previous episode that you didn't necessarily see the chemistry between the two of them so much but that is one of the things that i actually think is the best part about this movie is i think they are a great pair together because they are so i think that there's a (laughs) i think because of her chasteness of the being a nun and his rigidness and there's that time they do have that dance and they're kind of like uh, like face to face and they kind of like it's like it gets real sexy like real quick and like you yeah. can you can see it you can see that 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 connection way more than you could see the connection between between Audrey Hepburn and, and Rex Harrison and My Fair yeah. Lady but but there is like you know Christopher Plummer you know I talked about Audrey Hepburn being a snack I'm gonna play both sides of the field here yes Christopher Plummer is a fucking snack here yes he's, he he's is. looking real good in the uniform <laughs> He's so hot. He is. He's super (laughs) hot. And it's funny because Julie Andrews, who is a beautiful woman, is very much being like a plain Jane in this movie. Like she's got a terrible Mm. haircut, like a terrible haircut. Um, (laughs) And and she's wearing like, you know, terrible clothes, which is part of the character. I totally understand that. Um, but Even her wedding dress, if I'm being honest, is not my favorite. It's not. I'm honestly kind of like team Baroness a little bit. Um, yeah. I think that but she's fashion a, wise anyway. She's a smarter yeah. match for for snack plumber, but yeah. <laughs> but I do, I did, I did enjoy. There is like a quiet, simmering, like sexual tension that mm-hmm. is palpable, and that's you know that's brought to you by you know plumber and, and Andrews, Daddy Plumber, and Dad, yeah, Daddy, and and <laughs> you know, I I think that. <clears throat> I think that I, I, I wish they would never have gotten together I, I or ma- never gotten married because mm. after they get married, she is boring and dumb. And oh, I don't. Maria. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, they, you know what it is, too, is that like the anticipation of them getting together, despite, right. like I said, me not right. loving the music in this movie. Yeah. The anticipation of them getting together, even as a child, I was so engaged with that aspect of the story. I and got really they, into it. Right. And when they get together, it then kind of is like, like, yeah. like the anticipation of it loses. Gone, it. Yeah. So. yeah. 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 yeah I, I think that, um, I think they should have played it out a little bit longer. And I think that if they, if they wouldn't have gotten married, that that chemistry and that kind of um you know 
will they, won't they? I think that that would have been a bit more compelling, uh, especially yeah. since they were going to be coming in such peril later on, you know, right. um, and he'd have right. to choose, you know, I think there could have been, there could have been some fertile ground there, but um, that's not to say that, you know, they could have been married and they could have written her better after she, they got married. But um, <laughs> I did, I did read that, that um, the, the, the oldest daughter. Um, Brigitte. Yeah. Liesl. Uh, Shermaine, Shermaine Carr, the, the oldest daughter of the Von, the oldest Von Trapp daughter mm-hmm. and Christopher Plummer had a little flirtation going and were, were mm. kind of, uh, she said that she was like in love with him and he, he admitted that there was, there was a mutual affection, but it never, it never moved past flirtation, but I yeah. don't know well, what happens in the again, Von Trapp house stays in the Von Trapp house. <laughs> But again, as we said, who could deny the magnetism of the I Danny Plummer, though? <laughs> I know it. I know it. And it's like everything I read about Christopher Plummer is that he was like a dick for like a long time. And then like mm-hmm. the older he got, the more he softened and and, um, and much like his character in, in Beginners. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Kind of like in kind of like in Daddy. Um but I think I think that he he hated this role. He didn't want to do it. He said it was you know, idle. He said idle vice so was like the worst. Cast, I know it's like kind of works, <laughs> kind of works. Um, and and you know, and Julie Andrews is like the exact opposite. She like loves the role and loves it and like had the best time. You know, right. I mean? she, which is also she, why she's so perfect. Though. Right, it's like a spoonful <laughs> of sugar to help with a spoonful of sugar. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so I want to kind of talk about that for a second you know, to add some more historical context about this musical. So mm-hmm. one of the very frequent collaborators with Rodgers and Hammerstein was an actress named Mary Martin, mm-hmm. who you probably know culturally because she famously played Peter Pan in the Peter Pan musical that was on TV back in the, I believe, 50s slash also 60s. I don't remember if they did twice or I definitely saw a version that was in color. There's a TV so, movie that's in color from 1960. Yes. Yes. So she is a very iconic Broadway icon star. Right. Uh, right. And she played Anna in The King and I. And mm-hmm. she obviously also played in uh, Maria in The Sound of Music. And mm-hmm. I, I believe The Sound of Music specifically was written for her because that was kind of like, you know, she was sort of like their muse actress, if you will. Okay, and yeah. Wrote it. They wrote it for her as like an additional vehicle for her, you know, to continue on being Mary Martin and uh-huh. to you know, sort of, I guess you could say, like, kind of put, like, a a cap on her career or a peak high in her career. Because mm-hmm. also, I believe, and I could be wrong, I think this was the last musical that Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote together before one of them died. And I always forget which one is the one who died. Uh, well, we'll call it this one. We'll say it here and yeah. now. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so anyway, so that's also why for a lot of people, including Stephen Songheim, who actually was mentored by Rogers and Oscar Hammers. I I think it was Oscar Hammerstein who died, by the way, I believe. Um, He said that. Thank you. (laughs) He said songs like Edelweiss and, uh, you know, Climb Every Mountain were so prolific because these were the last songs that Oscar and Rogers wrote to Hammerstein and Rogers wrote together. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You know, that, that makes it very profound in kind of like a musical history sort of way. So, you know, when you have kind of all those things put together and then they kind of filter out and become this movie mm-hmm. that's kind of even bigger than the legacy of the musical itself before that, mm-hmm. you know, it makes, you know, Julie Andrews, the iconic woman that she is today outside of uh, Mary Poppins. You know, it's just it's mm-hmm. interesting to think about all of that on top of just how culturally significant this movie is overall yeah. in the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Good insight. Uh, yeah, I th- Oscar Hammerstein died in 1960, and yes. Richard Rogers did not die until the late 70s. So yeah, uh, dead on. Didn't you know? Not to question you, but just for some. Thank you. Yeah, I just I think that you know there's a lot kind of circling this. You know, you you kind of given us the brief history of Rogers and Hammerstein and everything leading up to this, and we have Julie Andrews coming off of a diss of not being cast in a role that she originated in My Fair Lady, and then being Mary Poppins the same year and taking the Oscar from Audrey Hepburn, and so she's coming off of you know an iconic role where she won a uh, Best Actress, coming onto a highly anticipated, highly anticipated musical, a lot of money thrown at it. it, it it's, I think the, besides the uh, Gone with the Wind, it's like, I think it was like one of the highest, the highest grosser movie at the time. Like this movie made so much money um, mm-hmm. and just fully cementing Julie Andrews. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of like Hollywood stuff kind of like all culminating and, and coming and coming into this right now because like I was talking before on the episode before this about kind of the state of, of Hollywood and, you know, going back and forth between, you know, pushing movies like, like Tom Jones and Lawrence of, uh, of Arabia. I almost said Lawrence of Olivier again. I'll <laughs> never not do that. Tom Jones and Lawrence of Arabia are these great. I love both of those films and they're really kind of pushing boundaries of, you know they're introducing the french new wave stuff and they're and they're yeah. you know, british um f- film filmmaking and and then it, you know especially tom jones pushing the boundaries of sex and and you know what they can get away with and what they want to put in movies and and then you get these back to back my free lady sound of music and it's really kind of like hollywood pushing against the change you know because like for the longest time there was like people not wanting to go to color and not people not wanting to go to sound. And you can see the kind of push and pull and eventually, you know, all hell breaks loose in the seventies. Cause after my fair lady is the sound, uh, the sound of music. And then it's a man for all seasons, which is very much like a, you know, a period Oscar type thing. And then mm-hmm. 1967 in the heat of the night, Sydney Poitier, like it's, it's, that's, that's like a, you know, a rough around the edges kind of movie. And then right after that, Oliver, you know, a movie that no one watched, 1968, uh, Oliver Twist musical. And it was just like another last-ditch effort because then after that, 1969, X-rated Midnight Cowboy wins Best Picture. And then it's just off to the races after that. And so this, like, last gasp of, like, old Hollywood being like, don't forget us, you know? And um, <laughs> and it's and it's done really well, you know? Like, I, I can see how this would win. And, you know, 1965 wasn't exactly, like, a banner year um i mean there's a lot of movies that didn't get nominated i think the biggest movie that was kind of uh, up this year would be dr zhivago but mm. um you know it's just it's just really really interesting to see what the academy is wanting to push and what they're not wanting to push and what they're like silencing so to speak you know or you know in this is getting it's getting better a lot better now whereas where the voting and uh, things are a lot more um not as controlled and handpicked yeah. by certain people, but but anyways, I, I I just I this you know the sound of music to me is such a relic of this like bygone Hollywood time. Um, yeah, and it, it, and you're and you're totally right. And going back to what I was saying in the previous episode, it also marks kind of the ending or the almost conclusion of like the roadshow presentations right. of you know the the big spectacle of these movies being you know shown in places like Radio City Music Hall and mm. you know having these very you know prestigious presentations of them and making them this like night event for families to go see it and i think that's why it made so much money mm-hmm. because of it feeling like this event and mm-hmm. you know even though we haven't like coined the term a blockbuster at that point i think this movie definitely signifies not only the importance of like a highly accessible musical for like a large you know demographic of people like little kids and mm-hmm. adults mm-hmm. but also is talking about or or representing the last 
efforts of the golden age musical like this truly mm-hmm. is the ending of that you know yeah. so yeah it, yeah it's in it's fascinating to think about from that perspective right and because and they still try i mean they still tried you know like a couple years after this was thoroughly modern millie and 1967 musical uh george roy hill and julie andrews is they're trying but you know it's got you know you know that's this is when musicals starting getting like costumes and music and you know what i mean like it, it's like they're still around they're still making like noise so to speak but they're not right nearly the prestige and the the spectacle uh crowd pleasing thing that 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 they kind of dominated for you know decades you know yeah definitely and also like you know like i said in the last episode i think the real true nail in the coffin after this that ended the genre of musicals being like these big event movies was hello dolly directed by uh you know our our boy gene kelly and that faltering you Mm -hmm. know because sure you have like funny girl and you have like you know a few other little sprinkles here and there. You have other Rodgers and Hammerstein adaptations, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah, that this this was the peak, and it all went downhill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And then uh, it'll be interesting. I've I have not seen Oliver. Okay, um, interesting. And I'm gonna you're gonna be back for that, and and uh-huh. episodes. But yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting because I don't. It's, it feels a lot like homework right now, so I don't know. I've been wrong before. Yeah. I've been wrong before. Well, kind of like I I have feelings about with Sound of Music. I have similar feelings about Oliver, mm-hmm. but you know the the other thing that I think is really kind of related to that that's interesting is that you know. Um, for a very large demographic generationally of people, Sound of Music and Oliver also are considered to be like, you know, what the Disney movies of the 90s are for us, right? Mm -hmm. That they are like these kind of like, you know, encapsulations of nostalgia and childhood and Mm -hmm. also were like the first introductions to musical theater for a lot of people. So... You know, I respect them for that reason, but mm. also find a lot of that material to be not of my liking. But I will say, I think Oliver is slightly more my vibe than this movie is. Okay. Slightly. But. Okay, teaser, teaser. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to talk about the turn in this movie. It's very sweet, almost saccharine. Um, and... And then it's and then you start seeing some Nazi flags and then mm-hmm. and then you start seeing some Nazis. Um mm-hmm. and then they kind of in a situation where you know the dad is in a prominent kind of position in the military and he's being conscripted into service and he doesn't agree with it and never wanted to do it and thinks that Austria should be its own thing. Mm-hmm. And they're in a situation. They're in like you know they have to they have to leave. They have to get out before before Hitler closes the borders, and they have to get out. But they kind of are basically at gunpoint, forced to perform mm-hmm. this concert for whatever the people of Austria or the 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 the, the Germans or I don't know who. Yeah, it's um, some sort of like musical festival that's organized by the uncle guy. I always forget. Right, his but there's name. definitely like there's definitely Nazi ties um, mm. to this whole show. You know, I, I I don't know why it was so important or why they had to be there. Um, but yeah, R- Richard Hayden, Max, Uncle Max, um, you know, has been teasing this <coughs> uh, this show for a very long time. But, right. You know, because well, he's this, a Nazi, right? Isn't he? Yeah, a Nazi? he he. I think was going to make a lot of money by helping mm. helping the Nazis, and I think that that was kind of his his angle. Mm. Um, but this movie, it didn't need any of that. <clears throat> like I understand it's based on the true story of the Von Traps, and the, you know they did leave Austria, and the day after they left Austria and escaped safely. Mm-hmm. Um, not being chased, you know, Hitler did close the borders. Um, so there is like some truth to like they, you know, they really had to get out of there. But th- it could have ended with 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 Maria 
marrying or or you know being with daddy and you know having a breakthrough with the kids and that's kind of what the her mission was anyways you know it was mission accomplished you know like roll credits mm -hmm. but instead there's like this overly kind of complicated like musical number where they kind of like are cleverly saying like farewell adieu to you and you and they and they kind of like <laughs> do a callback to the first thing that they do at the party the musical mm -hmm. number at the party and then they do it later at this fe musical festival or whatever the hell they're doing and then they they make their escape and then they have to hide and they they're hiding behind they're like in a cemetery and they're hiding behind these big you know headstone well, things and yeah well they're they're at the um i believe they're at the the church or, or they're at the, the, the yeah the where the nuns are at what are those things called the monast yeah. monastery <laughs> monastery yeah sure or those monks but um <laughs> You know, the so they the nunnery? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> where are nun where do nuns live? Sure. The church. Church? I don't know. Um that works. <laughs> yeah. We passed those tests. Um <laughs> but it's just it's overly complicated and, and, and needless. And then you know, Liesel kind of has this moment where you know, her the boy that she loves that that she's kind of been flirting with and she's been 16 going on 17 with him. Um, they he's there and he sees them and he's the only one, the only Nazi that sees them. And you know, he does he love her? Or does he not? It's like I don't fucking care what the Nazi thinks. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, why do yeah. I? Why do we? Why are we caring about this at all? And yeah. so they make their escape, and he like yells at the last second, but it was too late, and they make their escape and they run away, and and they they get away, and I don't know. It just is needless. It's 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 bonkers, crazy. I mean, I kind of, I kind of admired like just the audaciousness of it you know mm. like like it's not necessary it's really kind of weird um well I don't and, know. and that's that's kind of what i was you know trying to convey before as to one of the things i don't like about this musical slash movie is that i think they're stretching this real life story yeah. so much to make it a full-length musical yeah. that there feels like there's a lot of added for lack of a better word nonsense or bullshit like in yeah, the yeah, middle yeah, yeah. of the, the story yeah. like personally do not care that Liesel, uh had a thing with a boy and mm. caveat or side note that song actually makes me deeply uncomfortable <laughs> I do not like oh, that yeah. song yeah there there's that part where it's like um Oh boy, oh boy. I forget what the line is. Um, but then he's like, you know, you need someone that can teach you and that can yeah. show you how to do it. And, and she like parades in a circle for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say And also when she when she runs outside and goes, Wee! Yeah. Like so terrifying. She's in love. No. <laughs> but I will say, of all the songs in this movie, which they're like, there's a lot of good songs. Like I would say per capita, the songs in My Fair Lady aren't as good as the songs in in uh sound of music. I I mm. like this I like the sound of music songs more than I like the My Fair Lady songs. That's that's, that's fair. I disagree They're with bops. that. They're bops. But I I found myself singing I am 16 going on 17 <laughs> more than almost any other sound of music song except for do re mi fa sol ti. Uh, um, okay. But um there are there are some musical moments that that this movie can be trimmed. This movie can be trimmed. Um I'll Ooh. ask you the same question I asked you last episode. Is this movie too long? Yep. <laughs> it's two minutes, it's two minutes longer than my fairy lady. Um and I, I and I think it is too long i and here's my thing i think that the songs that i like the most in the sound of music which is not a lot but there's a handful are the ones that are i guess you would consider to be the least accessible songs in the show Idlevice? you like Idlevice? no i don't oh, <laughs> Dalen, what is happening I like the emotional um, 
context of that moment, and I like Christopher Plummer's performance of that song. Uh-huh. I cannot stand that song. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't. To be I don't like. I don't like a little nuns songs. Like, how do you solve a problem? Oh, and see, and, and, and so, and see, if for me, I won't. I won't say I. I love how do you solve a problem like Maria? Because like that's like is is whatever. But yeah. I like climb every mountain. I think that that's a very powerful piece of music, especially when you know that like it was the last one of the last things that Oscar Hammerstein wrote. Right. So. I think that's important, but yeah. I think that um, how do you solve a problem like Maria also is is very problematic because you know she's not a problem to be solved first of all, and well, yeah, and also like it's very strange how it's like, marry her off, r- right? Well, but it's also very strange how that song kind of codes her as being almost neurodivergent. Like she's like quirky, yeah. And, you know she's she's just too weird to be a nun, but she's not really, you know. Yeah. She kind of needs to settle down because she always got her head in the clouds, kind of thing. But right. you know, she, I, I think that that kind of undermines her and makes her seem more yeah. like yeah, bubble headed. It, it, it takes away her agency, like completely. Right. When, when, you know, despite my grievances with the show, I don't think that she's an unintellectual character. In fact, mm-hmm. she makes, like, probably most of the smartest choices in the entire show compared to a lot yeah. of other people. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, my favorite things, great song. Yeah. Uh, Do Re Mi, great song. I Love Ice, okay. <laughs> great song. And so long farewell. Is it? That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, Here's the thing. I I get <laughs> I get that these are accessible songs. They're just not for me. You got Christopher Plummer looking like a snack, mm-hmm. playing an instrument, wearing that nice little outfit, mm-hmm. singing in that nice. But fun fact, that's not his voice in the movie. No, you. Why did you say that to me? Now everything <laughs> is ruined. But 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 there are clips of him online where you can hear his version, and it almost sounds exactly the same. So I don't really know why they dubbed him. Supposedly he didn't like the way he sounded, but I think he his his version that you can listen to online, I think, sounds more vulnerable to me. Yeah, I'm gonna go do that after this and listen you to should, repeat. Because it's but great. Who who dubbed him? Do we know who dubbed him? I didn't see this. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head who did, but it, so yeah, the song "Idlewise" was written for the musical and is little known in Austria. The song was mm-hmm. the last that Oscar Hammerstein wrote before his death mm-hmm. on August 23rd, 1960, and you don't right. like it. So what does that say about you? But here's the thing. In context <laughs> of the show, it is a, a powerful moment, and I like the moment. <laughs> but as a song itself, no thank you. Because <laughs> you know uh, what it is about the sound of music for me that I, I was trying to say this earlier. Yeah. The sound of music as a musical is the musical that when people tell me they don't like musicals, Mm-hmm. I am assuming that that is the one that they are referencing. Sure. You know, because mm-hmm. it's it's like the antithesis for many people of what they think musical theater is, that it's like bright and happy and in your face. But it is. Every- it's like, it's super <laughs> extra. It's totally theater, kid. It, it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So... So when people say they don't like musicals and they're like, I don't like the sound of music, I'm like, I understand that why you don't like musicals if that's the one. <laughs> I suppose. I don't know. I suppose. I so, so so I'm just like obsessed with Christopher Plummer in this movie. So he yeah. admitted that he ate and drank heavily to drown his unhappiness during making the movie. <laughs> uh and found plenty of opportunities to do so in Austria. His costumes 
had to be refitted to, for his extra weight, which is bless him. I don't know. It just makes me love it more and more and more. I mean, he just looks good the whole movie, so I, I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, a little extra cushion. That's fine. So yeah. when this movie was first released on home video, it stayed on the charts for over 250 weeks, which is basically like wow. five years. That's yeah, this amazing. movie was it's crazy. It's like, yeah, insane. Um, Christopher Plummer admitted on the DVD commentary that he was drunk during the shooting of the music festival sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, that checks, honestly. <laughs> yes. Um, he learned to play the guitar for this part. Um, and, and he learned how to sing, which, you know, they were apparently was redubbed. Um, uh, okay. The one thing I don't like about this movie, the, my biggest dislike, mm-hmm. Christopher Plummer's name. Oh, you don't, you don't like the, the character's Just name? Call it some bitch George. <laughs> call it like Georg or something the entire time. It's throwing me off. Just I just call him Von Trapp. Like yeah. the, the, I just the, I mean I just call him daddy, but I don't know. I mean, he's the zaddy <laughs> trap. Boy, boy. Von Trapp. It's a, he's um. an actual trap. That's just like <laughs> Can you tell I don't have a lot of notes on this episode? <laughs> it's, listen, it's just, it's funny to rip on this movie. I, I think it's it's pretty funny. Um Christopher Plummer's singing was dubbed by Bill Lee of the singing group the Mellow Men. Oh. I finally found it. I don't approve. Good. I'm, I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, the the, the yeah. other thing I wanted to say, though, before we get further in terms of something else that I that just makes me deeply uncomfortable in this movie, I do not like the puppets. The puppets really freak me. The puppets are freaky. <laughs> and they had, like, huge <laughs> boobs and, like, it was... Yeah, and don't that's a song that I think also could be cut from this movie, and nothing. Yeah, would no, be I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Can we? Oh, okay. So when when Julie Andrews first gets to the Von Trapp house, no one's there mm-hmm. to greet them. No one. The kids aren't there. Daddy's not there. She goes into that room, right? Mm. And then and then and then Christopher Palmer walks in and was like, "You can't be in this room." Totally gave me Beauty and the Beast vibes. Um, yes. Yes, I, and, that, I really and like that's that a lot. yeah. And as someone, I, I mean, you you probably already know this, like of me having my interest in Beauty and the Beast adaptations yeah, yeah, yeah. and all mm-hmm. that stuff, right? That is a big reason why I always was drawn to this relationship because Ooh. it it actually has a lot of like kind of similarities between that from like a I guess you know, Beauty and the Beast coding situation to that. But also it's very similar to things like Jane Austen, uh, you know, yeah, or sure. things like, um, uh, not Jane Austen, I'm sorry, Jane Eyre, or things like, you know, what's our good example? Oh, Whether I can totally see Jane Austen too. Like when you say Jane Austen, I was like, oh yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And I mean, there are Jane Austen stories that have very similar archetypes of like, you know, um, yeah. Mr. Darcy and things yeah. like that. Except but for in this Jane one. Jane especially. Yeah. Christopher Plummer is beauty. <laughs> Julie Andrews is the beast. Is that, are we tracking? <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> but, but just the, like in, in all seriousness, just the notion of like, you know, this, uh, innocent wide-eyed girl going to the mansion yeah. of this yeah. um, male archetype who is, mm-hmm. you know, grieving and is like mm-hmm. full of like tragic notions and needs to learn how to love again and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's definitely Beauty and the Beast coded, and that's yeah. kind of like the only thing that ever got me through. Watching oh no. <laughs> so we talked last episode about my nemesis, Marnie Nixon. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Marty Nixon is in this movie? So yes and no, but I think she is she the the daughter. She plays sister Sophia. Oh, okay. That's Marty okay, Nixon. She doesn't dub the daughter, right? No, 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 no. So she provided vocals for Deborah Kerr on The King and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natalie Wood for West Side Story, Audrey Hepburn for My Fair Lady. Um, and then she played Sister Sophia. Dame Julie Andrews had previously appeared 
on Broadway and My Fair Lady, but was passed over for the movie. We talked about this. The mm-hmm. producers were worried of how Andrews would react to Nixon because she dubbed Audrey Hepburn's vocals in the role. Mm-hmm. So when Andrews first met Nixon, she she just ran to her and gave her hugs and said, Marty, I'm a fan of yours. Um, I wouldn't have done that. I would have thrown my glove on the floor and demanded a duel. Um, <laughs> well, here's the thing, though, I want to say, you know, in all seriousness about Marty Nixon, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of talent to be able to manipulate your voice to sound like multitudes of actresses who you are trying to sing and that's your job and that you're like this hidden you know ghost writer huge talent you know yeah yeah. and i think that that's amazing and so you know kudos to julie andrews for giving her a shout out because she does do i think it's shitty though that studios hire actors and then later on dub them yeah because they just don't want to hire people that can sing. Be up front like, in the right beginning. Up. Be up front in right. the beginning. And I wouldn't have a problem yeah. with it. Yep. Exactly. And, and you know, kind of going back for like two seconds about something I just recently found out that's kind of in that same vein. Uh-huh. I just watched Greystoke for the first time, which is the Tarzan movie with um, Christopher Lambert and Andy McDowell. Who, uh-huh. Do you know who Andy McDowell is when of I course. say that? Yeah, okay. yeah. So, as we know, Annie McDowell, icon, hottie, beautiful. Right. Uh, Also known for her very iconic Southern accent. And she was hired to play Jane in this movie. You know, Tarzan and Jane. Sure. And her character's American. So she could have a Southern accent, theoretically. But they dubbed her voice over with Glenn Close. Really? Yeah, and not singing, that's, speaking. That's yeah, that's a speaking dub. Interesting. Yeah, because the the director, who's the guy who directed Chariots of Fire, he didn't like her voice, mm-hmm. and it wasn't Victorian sounding enough. And the, you know, and that's what I mean. Like, just be upfront about that stuff right. when you're hiring actors. Like, that's so yeah. shitty. Like, uh, I don't know. I could go on a whole rant about it. from the beginning. Yeah. Up. Yeah, no, uh, important to be brought up. Uh, Fred Astaire was considered for the role of Max, which had been weird. Mm. Um, and Grace Kelly was was considered for the role of the Baroness. So could you imagine Grace Kelly and Fred Astaire uh, sharing I the mean, screen? That would have been, been pretty great. That's wild, but honestly, I also think that would have taken away from Julie Andrews. I would have totally shipped Daddy and Grace Kelly, and it would have mm-hmm. yeah, that been, that been all I was doing. <laughs> Uh, I've been mad that that didn't happen. Um, Robert Wise turned down uh, directing this movie three times before he eventually did it. Um, wow. Who else yeah. was, was going to direct it? Um, I don't I don't have that information. Wow. Um, Interesting. But I, I don't even know if there was anybody else considered. I think they just, they really wanted Robert Wise. And they were going to go okay. with him until he, um, yeah. Um. Christopher Plummer said that Idol Vice was schmaltzy, and uh, I just see it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie won five Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. It won Best Picture. It won Best Director. It won Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Music Scoring and Music Adaption, Adaptation Treatment. Julie Andrews was nominated uh, and did not win. That was taken by, I think, Julie Christie won that year. Um, Peggy Wood was nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role. Um, nominated for Best Cinematography Color, Best Art Direction, Set Direction Color, Best Costume Design Color. All nominations. Did not win, but it won five, including the, the, the big ones. Robert Wise turned down three times and ended up winning Best Director. Um, you know, <laughs> See, that's what happens, kids. Turn a movie down three times, you might win it. <laughs> this movie is still in the top 250 of IMDb, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I liked it a lot. This is a solid four out of five for me. I I, I If you would have asked me... A week ago, I'd been like, "No, I hate that movie." Two out of five, you know. I, I wouldn't have, I would not have <laughs> said anything nice about it, but I kind of fell in love with it. And apparently, I'm in the minority. Um, 
But you know what? I'm going to die on the hill. I'll die on this hill. Uh, see, I would say the complete opposite. You're in the majority. Like, there is well, a I reason why this. Great, uh, there's a reason a why this movie. Idiots. <laughs> no. There's a reason why this movie gets screened every single year as a yearly tradition at the Hollywood Bowl for hundreds of thousands of people to come and sing along with it. Like, it is an iconic piece of filmmaking. And despite me not liking the score and thinking that it's not the best thing in Rodgers and Hammerstein's catalog, I respect it from a filmmaking, you know, side of things. The cinematography is beautiful. The mm. costume design is great. The acting is great. It's just music that's not my favorite. Yeah. And that's okay. Uh, you know, different strokes for different weird neurodivergent folks. It's true. It's true. Um, also nominated this year are Darling, which is the film that Julie Christie won for this year. Took it away from Julie Andrews. Who it went back to back. That would have been something. Yeah, that would have been nuts. Uh, like I said, Dr. Zhivago this year. Ship of Fools and A Thousand clowns sound of music of course taking it um you know what else is there to say sound of music it's it's you know it's in the zeitgeist it's one of those movies that you're going to see everywhere that you see the posters for that you know the hills are alive like if there's ever like an academy awards you know uh program and they're doing like a compilation of videos like it's always going to start with the hills oh, yeah. are alive, and like and yeah. then we'll go into like you know all the other movies um it's just it has this staying power um, you know, and there's that picture of her on the hill with the, the Swiss Alps in the background. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, man, it's it's uh, it's very Hollywood. It's very, um, you know, Broadway. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a piece of pop culture history that cannot be uh, denied and cannot be um, dethroned. Honestly, I really don't think there's any other musical with the exception of maybe The Wizard of Oz sure. that has that level of universal staying power for a lot of people. So, yeah, yeah, that is it for this week. Join me next episode. I don't know who I'm talking to, but we're going to talk about uh, A Man for All Seasons. Uh, you can find the show on X at Winner Was Pod. You can find us on Facebook and the Winner Was Podcast. I'm on Letterboxd. Find me over there. Email the show. Tell me what you think. Winner was podcast at gmail.com. Daylin, where can all the lovely people find your stuff? You can find me on all social media platforms, including Instagram and TikTok at It's Really Daylin with two E's. And you can also find my podcast, The Faded Real, on SoundCloud and also on Instagram at The Faded Real Podcast. Yeah. And I'm on that podcast at some point, somewhere. Yeah. Maybe. Hopefully this week. It'll, it'll come out. <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this in the future, I'm already there. Uh, big thank you to Casey Townsend at Watery Music. You can find his stuff at waterymusicnc.com. Uh, have a good night. Idolvice. Daddy. Peace out. <laughs>